Welcome to The How of Business with your host, Henry Lopez, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here is your host. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez. My guest today is Chris DeFerio. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Looking forward to it. I got a chance to be on Chris's uh, podcast, and I'll tell you all about that in a moment. But on this episode, Chris has done me the favor of coming and chatting with us and sharing his knowledge. He's going to share his tips, advice, and experience from his years in the coffee shop business. What should you consider before you think about starting a coffee shop? And if you already are in one, what should you be focused on to grow your existing shop? And we'll even touch a little bit about what he's seeing people and how they're adjusting and pivoting during the COVID crisis. To receive more information about the Howa business, including links to the show notes page, and to schedule a free coaching consultation with me, just text the word biz, B-I-Z, to 31996. Let me tell you a little bit more about Chris. Chris DeFerio is a speaker, a coffee consultant, a podcast host, and a cafe quality specialist who has dedicated over 20 years to working in and studying specialty coffee retail. He is the founder of Keys to the Shop, which is a podcast and a training company and consulting as well, dedicated to advancing coffee service professionals in their careers and helping shops realize their full potential. His experience in the industry includes a variety of roles from barista, competitor, trainer, industry consultant, conference speaker on barista culture, cafe leadership, and shop systems to competition judge, cafe manager, and multi-unit cafe operations manager. Chris lives in Louisville, Kentucky. So once again, Chris DeFerio, welcome to the show. I'm excited to have this conversation. Yeah, looking forward to it. I had such a great time when I was on your show, Keys to the Shop. It was, yeah. It's a great podcast and, and the same name of your business. Uh, but let's start with, tell me about how you got started in the coffee business, which is just one of those, that was the first job I had, or did you purposely seek that out? How did you get started in this business? Um, interestingly, it was it was not one of those accidental things necessarily, although um, it, it, a lot of people start out that way in barista in the barista world and coffee world. But I was trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life in my early early twenties. Um, this is like 1999, the year 2000, etc. Um, I had become a coffee drinker, and I was in a ministry school in the Midwest, and. I wasn't doing anything with my life afterwards. <laughs> I was just, you know, spinning my wheels and drinking a lot of coffee and choosing between vocations. I was just, you know, there's pressure on me to say like, what am I going to do now? You know? Right. Um, and one day I just, I don't know, I must've looked at my coffee machine and just was in a coffee shop and I realized this is what I'm going to do. And that literally was it. And it was, it was like an epiphany, a calling, if you will. And right from that moment on from 2000 until today, so uh, almost over 20 years, it's been coffee for me. And I really have never questioned that. And it seems to have worked out. So can you recall why it clicked for you? What, what yeah. was it about it that you got passionate about? Really for me, I think what made me passionate about coffee was 
first, uh, I think any, for anybody, it's the caffeine and what it helps you do, which would be like be creative, um, you know, and, and have deep thoughts and, and stimulate conversation and things like that. And so as a participant and customer in that, I really loved that culture. But also I, I was fascinated by the um, creation of culture around a coffee shop itself. Um, and being that you know, I was a member or not a member, but a customer of coffee shops, mm-hmm. um, I experienced that culture and it's, it's not fleeting necessarily, but it's just a unique creation of community that lasts for, you know, the longest ones are a decade, two or three, and then, you know, other ones sprout up and w- around them, there's this community and around them, there's this real energy where all these people, the customers, the baristas, the um, just the community comes together to create this unique uh, place, uh, third place. And that's what fascinated me about coffee. And even more than that, uh, as I got into it, the coffee itself, the story of coffee, the intricacies, the taste, when I could taste the difference between different origins of coffee, um, for me, that was wild. I just, I had, I had no clue. And then under, under all that is the running of a successful coffee shop. There's all these little pieces and moving gears and parts that create this momentary pleasure for the customer. And so it all, it, it all kind of works together for this transcendent moment. And I think it's like when you look at a watch, when you see all the intricacies below it, just so that you can conveniently look at your watch and tell what time it is. I'm the kind of guy I think that really is fascinated by the creation of that thing and how it came into being. And, and that kind of guided my career ever since. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Orchestrating all of those pieces of it so that it, the result is you're having a cup of coffee that you enjoy that stimulates you. And then you're part of this community that a good coffee shop creates. And we're going to break that down because we'll talk about how you talk about often on your podcast that having a passion about coffee doesn't always translate into running the business of a coffee shop. And so we'll dive into that. But you, so as I highlighted in your bio, you had a successful career. Could it continue down that path? What led you to starting your own business, Keys to the Shop? Uh, so Keys to the Shop was something I thought of for two reasons. One, I was wanting to become a little bit more independent myself. Uh, I, I wanted to start something that was a creative outlet that I had control over and been working. I've been working for other companies for a very long time, running other people's coffee shops and helping them start um, you know, second, third, fourth shops, et cetera. And that's fun. And, and I am still working uh, very, very part-time as a barista here in Louisville. And so I, I love being behind the bar and doing that. However, um, it's, it's uh, a need that I have to be creative. I consider myself a pretty creative individual. And um, Keys to the Shop was born from that desire. And I'd say the other half would be I've seen as a trainer myself and, um, you know, tra- trained in different schools and uh, I am aware of what's out there to educate people about specialty coffee and running coffee shops. And I didn't see any podcasts out there that were created to give people the inside uh, look into the running of a coffee shop and all the things that I considered fascinating, like um, inventory systems or 
uh, how to deal with um, conflict between baristas and uh, how to create a good menu and design a good shop, things like that. It was, there was a lot of shows that were conversations around coffee and we all love coffee and the drink itself is, is great. But there are too many, I don't want to say this too harshly, but there are a lot of coffee shops out there that are making mistakes that have dire consequences for the people that are either customers or uh, baristas and staff of that store that don't need to be making those mistakes. It, it has a negative impact on how people view coffee. Nobody likes experiencing that. And, and I've experienced that. And I've actually, you know, of course, I'm human. So I've been the purveyor of those bad experiences too throughout my career. And, you know, I just wanted to be able to have conversations around that and say, there's things that you don't need to experience in the industry. And let's talk to experts and get you this, the information you need so that you can start off at a higher level than anyone started off before you. When you uh, learn from these experts, when you learn from my mistakes and my successes and et cetera, I, I think it, it helps create more momentum for positive impact. And so that was the re the reason I started the podcast. Mm. So the podcast came first and then the business evolved off of that? Yeah. You know, I, this is the gig economy, right? And so as a barista, you're not going to make a living as a barista, just a barista. So you've got to hustle, you've got to do different things. So I'd been hired to work at like uh, restaurant uh, shows, like the uh, NRA restaurant show in Chicago as a barista for hire. I've been uh, hired by people to help them develop concept stores. You know, these are not officially under my title. I might've had like a business card that I put together, <laughs> you know, uh, at one point uh, years and years ago, but nothing really substantial. But I, I realized at a certain point, I was like, you know, I think after 20 years and doing this podcast, um, I, I, I think I might know enough to actually, you know, like, officially tell people, I can kind of tell you what to do to be successful and be confident that you're going to be benefiting from that. And also curate ideas through the podcast and other people that will be able to help you. So the business part of it uh, was born from this stepping out into confidence of, you know, I've been learning all these years and now it's time to, you know, take it a step further and offer officially to help people at a higher level. Mm -hmm. All right, great stuff. All right, let's start diving into it. Uh, I want to have a conversation kind of walking through the life cycle of starting a shop and then growing a shop. But I'd like to maybe start by introducing the concept. Obviously, all of us have been to, or most of us listening have been to a coffee shop of some sort of another. But what is the range of how we see this deployed when we're talking about a coffee shop or a cafe? Tell me about the, the different ways you've seen this come to fruition as a business. So coffee shops are either brick and mortar or mobile in one of those two things, or they're a combination, which I would consider drive-through coffee a combination. It's there. It's really not going to move, but you're also using it in, in your car. It's there for vehicles. So you've got these three concepts really that make up all of what coffee can be. Um, it, that is brick and mortar would be your classic coffee shop on the corner. You go down, you get a coffee, it's a latte and you, you pick up that cup, you sit or you can go. And that that's the classic model. Then the one that really blew up in America uh, during the eighties and nineties was uh, coffee carts 
in, in Seattle and the Pacific Northwest, those, I mean, especially coffee took off because of that movement um, around Starbucks. And they brought in this, this specialty uh, Italian style uh, flair, the just different sizes of coffees, the different lattes and cappuccinos and things like that. That was centered in the Pacific Northwest around the concept of a brick and mortar, but in their situation, they really focused on coffee carts and brick and mortars really sprung up from there as America developed uh, a real uh, appreciation for this coffee and it because, became a because status before symbol. that and like before starbucks and others and certainly in it outside of the northwest it was you know you'd get a cup of coffee at denny's or your local diner um right that was traditionally where or at the dunkin donuts if you lived on the east the, sure yeah carts, for though, the most part yeah these carts though back then or were these carts that i would have found at at a mall where, where would i have found these carts Oh yeah, these were on the streets mostly. On the streets, I see. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So uh, outdoor, outdoor carts, things like that. So that's that's one concept, and the other concept, of course, brick and mortar, and then drive-throughs. And we see more now where department stores are putting their own coffee bars in. Right. So there's hybrids. Bicycle shops are saying, "Hey, why don't we partner with a roaster and you can put a coffee shop inside of our place?" So it's a an extra draw uh, for consumers and a value-added draw. So there's a lot of different ways you can. Um, conceive of selling coffee to a person, as long as you can have an espresso machine or a coffee machine and the person serving it, then you've got basically a coffee retail concept. Is this whole segment, the coffee shop segment, saturated? Not by any means. I wouldn't say it's saturated in the sense where I think we immediately think of there's too much, like there's no more room for people to open coffee shops. Um, in one sense, I guess I would say yes, in that there are, in, there are a lot of coffee bars out there that are probably going to go out of business because they're not sustainable. Um, and that might kind of be a false positive to prove that the market is saturated, but that just proves bad business practices. You right. know, they, they um, were already weak COVID for like, for like it has for a lot of businesses, certainly in the food and beverage industry, mm -hmm. it's what finally pushed them over the edge, right? Well, yeah, it pushed them over the edge or it, the investors and the private equity that went into it is just like, <laughs> it's just not for me. Yeah. And they just pull it. And so um, that that's a huge problem in the industry. But um, I, there's always room, I think, for people who are going to mindfully create something that is sustainable long term and, and serves the needs of the community well. Um, I do not think it's saturated. I mean, there's people opening coffee bars and roasteries still in the Pacific Northwest. And if there was any place that's going to be saturated, it, it's there. So if you're sitting in like a city like Louisville, Kentucky, which I wouldn't say is a booming urban sprawl, you know, uh, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty big, um, bigger than where I grew up, but uh, it has a lot of room for growth as, as a somewhat Midwestern city. And uh, I got to think that's in part as it is in under other industries, the demand, the consumer demand, and especially the demand for the right experience is still out there. It's still plenty of people to be served. Is that part of what you're saying? Yeah, there's plenty of people who are um, either frequent consumers of what's available to them and have convinced themselves that they love it because it's what's available to them. Um, and that same person I think is, you know, if there's a better option that opens and it produces something uh, a little bit higher 
quality or with more emphasis on experience and, and service, then I, I think that concept wins. Right now, the concept of a coffee bar opening up on gimmicks like um, $65 cups of coffee or real showboaty leather apron clad baristas, you know, <laughs> he was with huge mustaches uh, doing pour overs, that has a very limited shelf life. It, it spoils quickly because that doesn't really feed the soul of the person. And especially in these days where we want more connection, or at least we're realizing our, our ever-present need for it, I think retail is, is even more in need of people that are going to open a concept that's a little bit more rooted than um, just following trends. Yeah, yeah, good, good clarification. That, that makes a lot of sense. All right, I want to come back to the point that we touched on in the intro about I may well be a coffee drinker, lover, passionate about coffee, but that doesn't mean I should be starting a coffee business necessarily, right? <laughs> yeah, that goes back to like Michael Gerber's E-Myth Revisited, the um, technician suffering from the entrepreneurial seizure uh, that you you either are an enthusiast of something and you think, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to start a business around it and thus you ruin that thing for yourself. Um, if you like painting, I'm going to start painting and making money. And now you hate when people order paintings <laughs> right. um, or you're really, really good at something. And you feel like because your skill at this is, is evident, then your ability to own a concept around that is also evident. And that's what breeds a lot of toxicity two ways. One is to yourself where you become the worst boss you ever had. Um, and then toxicity in the fact that you now have a responsibility for the livelihoods of a lot of other people. And it's just a matter of time before people get burned by, I wouldn't say uh, like malevolent incompetence, but uh, just incompetence by virtue of the fact that you rushed into something that maybe shouldn't have been started ever. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, I like pizza and I did have a pizza business, but, but that doesn't <laughs> make me qualified to go and start a pizza restaurant, right? We, we have to check ourselves. This is why, I think this is one of the reasons we see so many failures in the food and, food and beverage industry, restaurants, ca cafes, because so many of it, often I hear people started it because I, I just love coffee or I love pizza or I love whatever. And they miss, and like you said, the e talks to this very clearly, they miss that you have to become a business owner. You got to know how to put the business model together so that it's successful. Yeah, exactly. And for, I tell baristas this sometimes, and it applies to owners too, um, in a certain way, like a barista will have this moment where this dark night of the soul, where they, they, they're so into coffee and they will, they're so particular about it. If somebody asks for cream and sugar, they get upset about it. Right. <laughs> and, and it breaks their heart and there's memes and posts about this all over the place. But uh, we used to be much worse about this. We're not over it yet, but um, you, I tell them you have to enjoy people enjoying things. Okay. Because if you don't learn how to enjoy people enjoying what you make, no matter what that is, then you're going to be miserable because people have, there's so much variety and you, you can't, there's nothing predictable about what you're doing necessarily. Even if you have a menu that has five items on it, you're going to get people ordering things 105 different ways. Um, and so I guess business is the same way. If you want to get into that, it's, you have to love the process of business at some level and have a fascination with and a dedication to uh, curating 
the things below the surface that create the surface that people want to interact with. Yeah. If you don't, then, and you force and you can't cultivate that, you really have to take a step back and think, is this for me? Right. Otherwise you set up a club of your best friends and you can talk about coffee all day long, right? Good forward. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is there, have you seen, uh, is there a certain type of person or characteristics? Have you seen any common denominators of what might make for someone who is well suited to start a coffee business? Well, I would say somebody who has a history of practicing self-awareness is probably a prerequisite. Um, just as much as you would want somebody who works for you to have that trait. I had an episode a while back called, would you hire you? And it's funny how many times people would never think of that, but if they had to, they'd say, I probably wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. time I yeah, that is a good way to look at it. Yeah. I mean, so self-awareness would be the first thing I would look for in a person in, I would say a history of self-awareness, especially because you could say, oh, I'm going to read a book about self-awareness and then I'm going to be good. But if you're, you haven't practiced it and really understood uh, and stood in front of somebody who's told you, you know, you hurt me in this way and accepted it and moved past it and grown from it. When you get into business, I mean, that kind of situation could come up a dozen times in a week. And so if you're not practiced in that, it could overwhelm you. Um, so is that in general because that's what makes for a good leader when you've got staff? Is that why the self-awareness yeah. is so important? Well, it makes for a good leader of staff, but it also makes for a good delegator in, in a sense that you recognize you're, you're not strong in everything and you need to have checks and balances just, just like everyone else does. But if you don't have self-awareness, you do, we will think that you need, you can do everything yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, and that other people are incompetent too. I think part of self-awareness also teaches you how to be aware of others. Um, because if, because we're all connected as human beings. So if you're a, a lot more connected with your humanness, to me, that says you're going to be a lot more sensitive to the humanness of others. But if you don't allow that for yourself, you're not going to allow that for other people either. Yeah. And I, I guess it, it's got to be related to the, the point you articulate about enjoying people, enjoying things. You, you have to be a people person then to some degree. You have to enjoy that interaction that comes from serving the public. In some ways, yes. And there are people who have uh, ownership of shops who are, they are good owners in the sense that they know they're not necessarily people persons. To, they are people persons to a degree. Uh, so they're not the barista out there. They know they're like they the roaster. Hire for that to have the customer exactly, facing yeah. person is that person. <laughs> You're but, right, but they're, but they're self aware enough to know. To your point, that I got to make sure I hire a good manager, good baristas who do have those people skills. Exactly, and this is. I think when we get into these conversations, it's easy for uh, in the back of our minds to think, well, do I just have to be like this cheery chipper, uh, perfect? person like the flair guy from uh yeah office space you know and I, i'm not saying that you need to be that person um there's a like we talked about in the beginning there's a variety of different coffee concepts there's different communities and different cultures too by the way uh all throughout the states and the world so um one person's bad service in one state might be fantastic service in another you never know Mm -hmm. um, just if you're aware enough about your surroundings and whether or not you're meeting the needs of people and you can actually be self-aware enough to know whether that's happening or not, that's the key. 
This is Henry Lopez with a brief interruption to share a special offer from our show sponsor, LinkedIn Jobs. The cooler days of fall are now upon us and changes in the air. Are your small business needs changing also? Despite the current continued uncertainty, having the right people on your team is as important as ever to help you continue adapting and growing. When your business is ready to make that next hire, LinkedIn Jobs can help by matching your role with qualified candidates so that you can find the right person quickly. LinkedIn is an active community of professionals with more than 690 million members worldwide. And getting started with LinkedIn Jobs is easier than ever. I really appreciate the new features to help you find qualified candidates quickly. You manage job posts and contact candidates from a single view on the familiar LinkedIn.com as functions are streamlined onto one simple screen. I also like the ability to identify strong candidates with their efficient rating system to help quickly get your job in front of more qualified candidates. And now you can do all of this from your mobile device, no matter where you may be. When your business is ready to make that next hire, find the right person with LinkedIn Jobs. You can pay what you want and you get the first $50 off. Just visit linkedin.com slash how. Again, that's linkedin.com forward slash H-O-W to get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. So if I'm thinking about starting a shop and people come to you all the time for that, where do you have them get started? Where where does the process begin typically? Well, I like to hear about what their concept is and their background and their reasons for opening. And sometimes I will, and a couple of times have convinced people to not do it. Um, And that's the first thing. Um, If they're already down the road or they are, you know, they have a good foundation and understanding of what they're they're in it for, and it's not just to you know, get rich quick or something like that, uh, which would be foolish. Just I mean, if you're thinking about getting rich quick by starting a coffee shop, that is <laughs> just buy a lottery ticket, you right. know. So the next step for me is to say, well, um, we figure out what time frame they're thinking about, and I usually add uh, half a year to that <laughs> or more. Because most people that I talk to and I've have spoken at and been a participant in coffee fest trade shows for probably 55, um, 55 shows now and uh, all the way since 2003, the number one thing I, I just smack my forehead about is that people get there and they say, I need to learn about coffee because I'm opening in four months. <laughs> yeah. well, I, I haven't even hired. I don't even have job descriptions or systems. I don't know what the structure is going to look like. And so we go through the process of thinking about what it's going to, what is, what is it going to be like to actually schedule people and build this thing out and have knowledge. And you're not going to download information into your brain, like the matrix. It's just not going to happen. You need to give yourself time, frustratingly long periods of time. And you really need to work in coffee at some level to really guarantee some success here. Um, There are people that don't, do that and they're still successful, but it's bewildering somewhat. So um, you, you do recommend that if I was considering opening a shop and I have no retail experience, no coffee retail mm-hmm. experience, I should try to get some? You should definitely try to get some retail experience. Work as a barista at uh, any coffee bar you can uh, put an application in. It does not matter. If it's beneath you, this profession is beneath you as far as I'm concerned. Um, it, it, and if you work there and it sucks, great. 
that's perfect because now you're experiencing uh, e either a good system and you're going to take it and use it in your shop or help it inspire what you do, or you're going to say, I'm not going to do that to my baristas, right? But, but am, I, am I going to have a good chance of getting hired? Wouldn't, I mean, not to sound arrogant, but if I've got a resume where maybe I'm in the corporate world, am I going to get hired? Is there enough demand you think that, that I should be able to find a position somewhere? You, I mean, I think there is enough demand to be able to do that. Um, you know, it's not a guarantee that you're going to get hired, but you be, you should be pursuing it. And yeah. at least if, say, for example, you can't get hired and you try, that's fine. What I think uh, one of my clients has done before they opened their brick and mortar is had a mobile operation that they set up for relatively cheaply. It's like $20,000 or you can even do it for a little bit less if you really uh, find some reclaimed wood, things like that. Um, and serve people that way in a very low risk situation. So you create some uh, regularity in your schedule of this is now my life. Yeah. This is something that I do for a living and I'm making coffee for people. It's not my full blown concept, but I'm getting my feet wet in it. It's easy for people to sit behind a computer and build uh, a shrine around their business plan and create the, the logos and they get this goosebump feeling from getting that first logo back and they got business cards and t-shirts, but nothing substantial structurally speaking or, or developmentally speaking has happened at all. And then it just hits them like a ton of bricks, no experience, no development of systems or process or mindset. And then it's, you know, firefighting from that point forward. So it sounds from what I'm hearing so far, Chris, that a lot of the failure comes from, and it's what we've talked about this, you know, the passion doesn't always translate, the lack of awareness of the operational components and how important that is to a successful cafe or coffee shop. Yes. And operationally speaking, like with my consulting, I tell people that we operate on the concept of three things. We focus on the quality of what you do and serve uh, the people that serve it and work with you and uh, the operations. And the operations is just a, a big word that covers all of those moving gears below the face of the watch that makes this thing work. The quality, the people and the operations. Exactly. Yeah. What are we typically, what are you seeing investment range? And I know it's got to be a pretty wide range, but if we're talking about a brick and mortar coffee shop, the traditional coffee shop where I come in, I get a cup of coffee, I sit down, I work on my computer. What are we typically looking at there? Is there a lot of equipment that I'm not considering? What, what's the, do you have a range that you've seen? Yeah. So financially speaking, I think you know, if you're taking into consideration um, the lease and the equipment the labor and all the other bits and pieces that go into it, the small wares, the build out cost, most people are spending anywhere from 150 to $200,000 to open their shops. In an, in an ideal world, you're gonna want more than that. You always want more capital to work with so that you can afford to have some slow months and still pay your staff or even yourself. <laughs> Heaven forbid that you go too far without paying yourself at some point. But, um, that is the average range. I've heard of people opening coffee shops for $5 million. Um, And what do and you say to that? I, and I say, well, that's kind of a waste um, because I don't want to be the one to say that's a waste necessarily. But you know, like there's a place that used to be open. I won't say the name of it, but it had 
copper ceilings. <laughs> well, it, 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 and so you wonder, could they have been successful without mm -hmm. the copper ceilings and what other things could they have been invested? It's not really around anymore. It got sold and somebody yeah. else runs it now. And that's, I think, you know, a, a shame. But <laughs> five million, if you're thinking of dropping five million in a coffee shop, that's um, <laughs> people don't want a five million dollar coffee shop. No. The people no, but who I, actually, I, think, I think it's the manifestation, Chris, of people. Uh, this is more like, oh, they they've dreamt this up and they want this, mm. you know, this ideal place, but they have given not much thought to the business model side of it. It seems to me. Well, yeah, you're right, exactly right, because they're not thinking five years down the line. Um, and they're not thinking about all the money they're probably going to have to spend retraining employees and the, the cost of, uh, you know, turnover, et cetera. And when they look at those copper ceilings, when the penny drops, they're going to think, gosh, I wish we didn't invest in that. <laughs> because that's not the reason people are going to come back. Uh, and that's the thing people miss. But on that topic, we talked about at the outset about is, the, is this segment saturated? Are there too many coffee shops? But when I do open a coffee shop in where there are other coffee shops in the area, I have to hope that some of those people will give me a, a chance, will try me. My question is, why have you found, I know this might be hard to answer, why have you found that people will change coffee shops? Um, there's a few things here. Uh, one, for pettiness, honestly. We've, we've taught people to be petty and it's kind of our fault in the industry for you know, creating differentiators between shops that are gimmicky and overly, um, I would say, overly uh, accepting of people's unreasonable whims. And so, so, so I want to go see the shiny new object or the, those, those copper ceilings. I want to check that out. Or, or to put it on a more uh, lower level, I'd say, if you don't have sugar-free raspberry syrup, then you are not my coffee shop and screw you. You know, right, right. That, that kind of an attitude exists out there. But not, I'd say that's more narrow than the broad range of people who choose to go to a different coffee shop. They do that because over time, they will give second, third, fourth, fifth chances to coffee shops that disappoint them with getting their order wrong, filthy tables, the bathroom is dirty and smelly, um, a barista was rude to them one day. And it's easy to remember these little um, infractions. And customers will keep some kind of subconscious tab until it really builds up. And when it does build up, they just, uh, another coffee shop opens and they're just like, thank God, I'm going to go there. Chance. And I'm going to switch and give them a chance. And we can't afford for that to happen. And the only reason it happens is because we are not creating as a priority planned positive momentum in the opposite direction with the little details that customers want to experience that just work. Like, why are your tables still wobbly? Why, why is that window still dirty? Do you not have Windex? Is it, it just things like that blow my mind because those are the types of things that just get filed away in the mind of the customer. And it seems insignificant until after a hundred or 500 of those little things pile up, it's just an excuse for them to leave. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's one of the things I think that's classically why people leave um, pretension, dropping the ball in lots of little ways and sometimes in big ways, but it's usually gradual. 
I got to think, though, that convenience, you know, if I'm talking about drive through am I in the right location, right side of the road? Those things play a big factor as well, though, do they not? Yes, I'd, I'd say convenience does. But let me say this. There's a coffee shop near me where I live that I will never go to because I don't like the service and I don't like the product. Now, I listen, I realize people are like, well, you're a coffee professional. <laughs> so let me just take myself out of the equation and say, I know lots of other people who are not coffee professionals who take the trip to go to a place where they feel a connection, where they feel appreciated and seen in an ever uh, uh, increasingly uh, anonymous world where we don't have that connection. So there is a convenience there. And I, just like anyone else, will drink like a, a cheap coffee at you know early hours in the airport because I am addicted to caffeine. I'm not ashamed to say it, <laughs> but my money goes predominantly to the experience. And when I can, I will, and people will invest more heavily, even if they make exceptions for convenience. Convenience is not really a foundation stone to build an entire business off of um, unless you've got the connection part as well. Okay. Well said. All right. Here's my big hang up with coffee shops every time because it happens often. It happened <laughs> I'm ready. I know you're ready. It happened to be earlier this year. A friend of mine said, oh, in my area, there's not a coffee shop and we need one. And should we open one? I'm like, okay, here's what I don't get. I don't know how a coffee shop makes money when I come in, I buy a $5 cup of coffee or tea or whatever, and then I sit down and work on your Wi-Fi for the next six hours. How does that model work? What am I missing? Um, well, coffee is predominantly to go, in, even in brick and mortar. Um, that's part of it. It's you will sit and have a coffee, but uh, most people that I see sit and have a coffee will get up and have a muffin too. And then they'll take that and they'll go back and work. And there are people who camp with one cup of coffee or even, you know, they'll like bring their own stuff in. Um, <laughs> there are people that are socially uh, maladjusted like that. So I'm not going to say that that doesn't exist, but by and large, I'd say people do have multiple purchases when they use the Wi-Fi. Um, when they're sitting there. And it's not where you make your money. Where you make your money it is more on the high profit margin items. If you're a roaster, especially, is selling beans, right? Um, it's in volume of people buying to go. And that might seem like, oh, it's a waste. It's, you know, sustainably minded shops really don't like that. So we have even, you know, people that bring in their own thermoses. We don't do that right now because of COVID. But I mean, that was, and probably, hopefully one day we'll be back to being a huge, huge thing, right? Um, even in Italy, where there are no to-go cups, you know, right. in the coffee bars, people are still basically getting it to go by just drinking an espresso within like one minute and leaving. Mm -hmm. They're not sitting and fa falling all over a newspaper and all that stuff. So, so then why, why, does, why do I need to invest so much in the, the culture, the ambiance, all the stuff that we talked about earlier? Why does that matter then if the, if the money is really in the to-go, if I'm following you correctly? Right. So ambiance is important because it's not, it's not necessarily the, that the person is going to come in for a surround sound experience or, or uh, omni-theater experience of atmosphere. They're coming in for like a, a brief little YouTube video of culture, if you will. 
it's a it's a micro dose of connection and culture even in people who sit down they'll sit down for like 20 minutes uh, average and then they'll get up they're like i gotta go to work you know they're experiencing a very limited amount of your ambiance because they'll have their own headphones in and they're not listening to your music etc um what your goal is is to create a history in their mind of good treatment good experiences and it creates sort of a portable ambiance based in their memory based on their history with you it's just like it it's the way that people feel when they're around somebody that they like yeah they can be around that person for a brief period of time and it can refresh them um but if they're there for hours and hours and hours with that person you know, it's like a car trip, right? You're just going to get annoyed with them eventually. <laughs> so, so it's it kind of works like a to our favor. I, I, I like, I go there, I like the product. It's convenient that they treat me well, but, but all of that does matter because it's my touchstone that at least for that either two minutes or 10 minutes or five minutes, I, I got that for me. And, it, and for a lot of people, it's even important to set their day, set their mood. That's what it's doing for a lot of people, I got to suspect. Yeah, it's setting their mood. It's it's that connection point, maybe with other people in the community too. Mm-hmm, but yeah. also, it's a service. It's a it's a product that they're coming in to purchase with their money. And our job is not to sit down and just give them a mani pedi and and just <laughs> it, it. We're making them a coffee, and they appreciate it, and we exceed some expectations here and there, and then they leave. And when they remember their experience to, to their friends and family they're going to have fond memories. That's the goal. Yeah. So speed has to be a component of all this speed and service. Mm, Yes. Yes. There is, of course, speed can be, if it's not in place with quality, you have people pulling shots of espresso at 15, 14 seconds or or less. Like they'll do this at Panera Bread or something where they'll pull like a a seven or eight second shot and they're like, well, our machine is dialed in to do that. And I there's no way there's physically not even possible. And um, it, the product shows it in, in a lot of not, not great ways. So their speed is, you know, balanced with quality. You can be faster than you are now if you're running a coffee shop Um, just by having a bar that was built around the menu that was built around good workflow before you actually poured concrete and put in electrical outlets. That's where I start with a lot of people is like, let's look at what you're actually going to serve. And then let's build the bar around making that quickly and well. Um, It's respecting people to do something quickly. And if they don't want it super quick, which I haven't seen a whole lot, then you don't have to necessarily do it super quick, but Quick doesn't mean rushed. Right. Quick it doesn't, doesn't mean, mean sloppy. It doesn't mean rushed. Yeah. You but don't have to means, look like you're losing your mind. No, but, uh, but, but I, you know, I do have limited time is what you're saying for most of us who are coming in for that short experience. Yes. And so there's a balance there. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting to wait. I'm willing to wait for something that's, you know, a, a high quality, but only so much. Yeah. Well, let me expound on that just a little bit in, in that when, when I'm talking to people about workflow, when you're at the register, what the register person uh, tends to do, the barista there, they will take the to order and they'll take it quickly. They'll work that line. They'll get people through that line. But now that line is simply shifted down the bar and they're right. still waiting for their drink. So my timer internally starts when I have got my change. I've parted with my money. I'm now poorer. 
I, you know, and I don't have anything to show for it. So my timer of, you know, it took 10 minutes to make that latte when it actually took three minutes or four. Um, it's because we didn't take into consideration the customer's perception of what we were doing. We want them to see us working and having a sense of controlled urgency and expertise. Um, so we're not dawdling about, and we're also not trying, we're, we're not pushing them past the register and just having them, you know, herding them into a, a corner to wait for their drinks while they, you know, pretend to look at their phone to escape awkwardness, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's an interesting psychological thing. I've studied that a lot, uh, Chris, especially as it relates to my other businesses, the, the self-serve frozen yogurt business. Oh. What I have found is that people will blame other people in front of them if the queue is slow. <laughs> but as soon as they're on your clock, as soon as you take the order, now they're going to blame you for it being slow after that, right? In other words, <laughs> it's, it's easy for me as uh, parking lots. Yeah. If, if this person would just finish their order, right? But once I will place the order, now it shifts, and now and now they're watching how long it takes you to to make their coffee or whatever it is. Exactly. Yeah. I'll just get. Uh, actually, I will take M and M's and walnuts. <laughs> exactly. So. <laughs> Um, to start to wrap it up here, if I'm looking to improve an existing shop, it seems to me like what I heard a lot was this, this workflow, the process, the flow, how, how it all gets created, that that's at the center of driving the efficiency that you need. And that's one part of being successful or a key part of being successful. Did I get that right? Yes. There is something underlying there though, that is important. And it's that you could take that and say, okay, well, we're just going to change that and we'll be better. But a lot of what gets created on the bar is based on, uh, let's say you start a bar and it's not great workflow. Chances are good that your baristas and the manager have cobbled together with duct tape and Sharpies, some alternative version over top of that, yeah. an edited version of it that you don't even know what it is right now. They've overcome that handicap because they've had to. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that it's they've MacGyvered some way around it. Yeah. And and now it's this thing. And it's not that you need to uh, come in and just change it. I think it's more like, why did that happen in the first place? It's because we that we didn't plan very well. But now it's a matter of being able to tap into feedback from your staff and what their experience is on the bar and what their ideas are. So it, it's really about if you want to improve an existing shop. You need to take a deep dive and honest look into the systems that have been uh, that have failed people, and you need to be able to open up regular forms of communication to take feedback, a cr critical feedback from the people who have been forced to live in that dysfunctional system for all these years, and because they're you know staff, they're not going to feel the freedom because of the power differential to bring it up to you when you know things aren't functioning the way they are. They just want to fall on the sword more than they should in those circumstances. So it's a little deeper rooted than just improving our speed and standing there with a, a stop clock, you know? Uh, it, it, it really is kind of this structural component that needs to take a deep dive. We, we typically will do a deep dive if I'm doing that for somebody, give them a report to say, here's how I noticed you interacting with people. Here's how I noticed them interacting with staff and each other. Here are some underlying structural things that need to change in order to see that sustainably better in the future. Yeah. Okay. Great stuff. 
All right. Summarize for us again, the, the services that you offer your clients and then also tell us about the podcast again. Sure. Uh, so keys to the shop uh, consulting does on-site uh, operational analysis and helps you with your quality, your operations and your people. Um, that can look a lot of different ways depending on your needs. So if you're just starting a coffee shop, it's helping you start off on the right foot. So like we were talking about, and you can also have a shop and want to scale to two. I've got a, a couple of clients that are in that situation now. We're helping them up their standard operating procedures and you know start off in the second store better than the first. And uh, that can, again, be on site or we do over the phone consultation uh, where we walk people through problems, both large and small. Great stuff. And uh, where do I find the podcast? Yeah, uh, all you know, carriers of, of podcasts, I believe. Uh, Keys to the Shop podcast. Um, a lot of listeners like CastBox, I like Overcast myself, iTunes, et cetera, Spotify. So Keys to the Shop is the name of the podcast. And, uh, and you can contact me. Uh, my email is chris at keys to the shop.com. You feel free to reach out to me there, or you can just visit the website at uh, keys to the shop.com. Wonderful. You mentioned the e-myth. We talked about that uh, quite a bit. Is there another book that comes to mind that you would recommend? Well, it seems fitting because we've been talking about self-awareness a bit here and, uh, you know, soul searching as an entrepreneur. Uh, so the Arbinger Institute put out this book called Leadership and Self-Deception. And it's kind of a leadership fable type book. It's mm. story format. Um, and it shows essentially the bias we have uh, to view other people as objects and the steps that we need to take in order to um, both follow our positive impulses towards others and uh, default to view others as actual people like we view ourselves. And it's just, I recommend it as much as I possibly can because it's, uh, again, leadership and self-deception says it all. We can really deceive ourselves and this helps shed some light on that. Yeah, and it certainly ties back to the point you made about self-awareness and how important that is to being successful in this kind of business or in any business, I think. Indeed. All right, let's summarize here. One thing you want us to take away from this conversation we had about launching and growing a coffee shop or a cafe, what's one thing you want us to take away? Wow. Well, I would, I guess I would just reiterate that there are a lot of components that can be overwhelming and getting into this for the right reasons looks like uh, first being self-aware and then next being aware of the, the actual work that you're going to need to do and in embracing the fact that your work is below the surface. It's, it's in the guts and gears of the operation and uh, cultivating a joy around that is key to success in my opinion. Mm, well said. Where do you want us to go again online to find out more? Yeah, that is uh, keys to the shop.com. Again, my email address is uh, Chris at keys to the shop. And yeah. Wonderful. Chris, this has been a great conversation. I think I am going to think about opening that coffee shop now. There you go. You've, you've convinced me. No, this has been great. Thanks for indulging all these questions and going longer than we usually do. It was a great conversation. Thanks for taking the time to be with me today. Honored to be on your show, Henry. Thank you. This is Henry Lopez, and thanks for listening to this episode of The How of Business. 
My guest again today was Chris DeFirio. We release new episodes every Monday morning, and you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and at our website, thehowabusiness.com. Or you can also just text the word biz, B-I-Z, to 31996 to receive more information. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information about our coaching programs, online courses, show notes pages, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.